This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for insights for global investors and access to research and expertise from across the investment industry. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is May 19th, 2022. Earlier this week, MSCI hosted the Capital for Climate Action Conference, which included a number of fascinating interviews, panels, and keynote speeches from some of today's leaders on the subject of climate change and its impact on investors. We'll link the full playback for you on the MSCI Perspectives landing page, but on today's episode, we explore some insights from a panel that Joe and I found particularly interesting. Partly because it was on a topic that, frankly, does not get as much attention as it should. Biodiversity. For context, as we've mentioned on this program before, the gathering that's going to take place in Egypt later this year to discuss all things climate will be known as COP number 27. The Biodiversity Conference happening in Kunming, China, is COP 15. As we'll hear as we eavesdrop on our panel, the world's economic output and our ability to reach net zero emissions both turn on the preservation of nature. But how is this playing out in the scientific and investment community? And how are investors specifically confronting and accounting for nature-related risks in their portfolios? To help us answer these questions, we'll hear from Emily McKenzie. She's the Technical Director at the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures, or TNFD. Matteo Maureen, CEO and co-founder of Iceberg Data Lab, and Philippe Zaudi, CEO of Morova, which is an asset management firm focused on responsible investing. One of the first issues that came up on the panel was the fact that the TNFD recently launched what Emily referred to as a beta version of its framework. She also spoke about what their hopes were for what the final framework will achieve. TNFD's mission is to develop and deliver a risk management and disclosure framework so that organizations can report and act on evolving nature-related risks. Its ultimate aim in developing this framework is to have a support a significant shift in global financial flows away from activities that are harming nature and towards nature-positive outcomes. The overall approach recognizes that nature is an asset, that they provide services that benefit people, and that the interactions that businesses and others have on nature presents both risks and opportunities. So very similar to, to TCFD. Uh, and in, in addition to shorter term financial risks that would be deemed material today, there are long term risks that are evolving uh, through dependencies and impacts. But also there are opportunities, recognizing that understanding nature and how you depend and impact on it can also inform growth strategy and the pursuit of commercial opportunities. So the three core components of the framework are first an outline of fundamental concepts and definitions for understanding nature. And this is what the task force recommends market participants use when they're assessing and disclosing nature-related risks and opportunities. The second core component is a set of draft disclosure recommendations for nature-related risks and opportunities. And the third component is is something uh, more for internal risk and opportunity assessment. It's a set of guidance for looking at nature-related risks and opportunities, which we've called the LEAP approach, for incorporating that into enterprise strategy and risk management processes. 
We'll get back to this leap approach in a bit. But in terms of talking through the three parts of the framework, it did seem wise to look before leaping, so to speak. So when we get into the, the first part of the framework, we've outlined these concepts and definitions. We introduce nature through four realms that are very easy to understand, land, ocean, freshwater, and atmosphere. And then as you move through, you see a set of biomes, things like lakes and freshwater, tropical forests on land, open waters in the ocean. And then recognizing that nature is a stock of assets that provide a flow of services to people that both corporates and financial institutions depend on for, for their enterprise value. The second component I mentioned is a set of 12 draft disclosure recommendations on nature-related risks and opportunities. And in response to very clear calls from the market for a consistent and integrated approach to sustainability reporting, TNFD has explicitly built on the disclosure recommendations of the climate counterpart, the TCFD. So we say it follow the same four pillars of disclosure, so governance, strategy, risk management, and then metrics and targets. Priority areas of work for the task force ahead of us include more work on scenarios, on adapting the concept of scopes um, to look across value chains, as well as uh, work on metrics and targets. And, and importantly, notably, the task force have added a new uh, disclosure recommendation that is about location. Um, and this is recognizing that nature-related risks and opportunities are place-based. They occur in particular uh, locations. So you have to understand where, where you are operating, where you're investing. Regular listeners may recall this concept from conversations we had with MSCI's head of ESG research, Linda Elling Lee, while she was attending COP26 last year. One of the mantra here is is that a tree is not just a tree, and and everyone kept talking about you know the right tree in the right place is actually what what um, we should be shooting for because the value of a tree you know whether it's to climate mitigation or to climate adaptation as well as to other co benefits such as increased biodiversity and soil quality etc those are simply not comparable. But back to Emily. The final component in the framework is this set of guidance for both corporates and financial institutions to undertake nature-related risk and opportunity assessment internally uh, that we've called the LEAP approach. And this was developed because there was feedback and uh, thinking in the task force that this would help for market participants to get started and also improve decision-making. It has four core phases, uh, locating your interface with nature, that's the L of LEAP, evaluating your dependencies and impacts, assessing your risks and opportunities, and then preparing to respond to nature-related risks and opportunities and, and report on them. So this is broken down into 17 components. Although the first focus was on corporates, the LEAP approach for financial institutions has also been developed as a first uh, version by the task force, um, which has a set of guiding questions, scoping guiding questions up front uh, to reflect the particular circumstances, for example, with very large portfolios. The need for a framework like TNFD might seem well-rooted in the fact that considering biodiversity as part of portfolio management is something new, something, something foreign for investors. Matthew, who leads a firm working to develop relevant, comprehensive data on biodiversity as well as other issues, well, he addressed this very issue head-on. And in a way that I think many investors will find encouraging. 
I may summarize uh, the issue of biodiversity by the fact that for investors that everything is new, basically, but nothing is unfamiliar. And what I mean by that is that everything is new, meaning that when our clients start to approach that domain, they should develop new expertise. Abundance, richness, what are biomes and the different impact on biomes. Having said that, nothing is unfamiliar in the, in the sense that to approach and to respond to the question, what can I do as an investor to appraise my impact on biodiversity and, and act on it? You should have recourse to impact quantification which is something familiar that we know, for instance, through carbon footprint, quantification of an impact. The evaluation of the dependency and impact and links through the value chain that a corporate will have through the end use of its product, through its supply chain. And that's the scope free, again, familiar concept. And eventually, and more complex, uh, the local impact, the L of uh, your uh, LEAP uh, framework, which is something needed, for instance, to approach the physical risk. Here again, something which is uh, familiar to us. So we already have uh, several uh, use cases uh, through the integration uh, into, uh, into a strategy and, and, and public strategy uh, reporting, such as uh, the first two uh, Biodiversity uh, reporting uh, published uh, last year by uh, Sainte Assurance and Score using uh, our data set, uh, which is a concrete illustration of, of the kind of uh, use in terms of reporting that you may have through passive investment and so on, uh, to show that it is doable as of today to integrate that thematic into decision-making process of financial institution. At this stage, uh, what remains to be done is to expand the boundaries of the covered pressures and on, on the biome, on the impact of specific biomes, invasive species, uh, the impact on uh, marine biodiversity, overfishing, and so on, on which studies and research should continue to be, uh, to be encouraged uh, and, and funded. Uh, we are observing, and we will continue to observe uh, so we've heard a bit about the growing number of tools available for investors. We have the TNFD Biodiversity Framework and Iceberg's approach to concrete applicable data. But what do investors think about all this? Philippe? Nature is as important or maybe more important than, than, than climate because this is where we live and this is where all the economy is uh, is developing uh, the, the products, services, consumption, and so on and so forth. And the relationship with nature is a key uh, key part of uh, all our issues today. I mean, uh, uh, regarding environment, but also uh, social topics as well. And the relationship between uh, nature and climate has been made very clear by, by the, the scientific community with the, the, the joint uh, report of uh, IPBA, IPBS and, uh, and, 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 uh, and IPCC. And as a responsible investor, what are our concerns? What we want to do is first, of course, to avoid risk uh, and to avoid investing in harmful projects and companies. And then 
to uh, uh, redirect money and capital into solution providers. This is exactly what we have done on climate in the last 10 years, investing in uh, renewable energy, investing in clean mobility, uh, uh, investing in uh, clean, transpo uh, clean transportation, uh, hydrogen, and so on and so forth. This is exactly what we would like to do also on nature. We started from this. We started uh, with uh, uh, the investment on NBS, natural-based solutions. We, when we started uh, six, seven years ago uh, to, to look at this topic, uh, it was uh, through our partnership with the uh, UNCCD. Uh, and the idea was to invest in uh, uh, degraded land and to develop uh, uh, agroforestry, uh, uh, new uh, sustainable agriculture models, uh, reforestation, and so on and so forth. And so the idea being nature could be a solution for the climate crisis, basically. And today we uh, are a step further. So uh, we still invest in nature, but not only to uh, be a solution for the climate crisis, but to be a solution for the, I mean, all economy and all development and sustainable development as well. Clearly, Morova is not a firm that needs to be convinced of the investment impacts of climate change or biodiversity. So much so, that Philippe takes it a step further. We are very committed to one concept, which is double materiality, uh, which I know is not clearly stated in TNFD, but uh, I think that even if it's not stated, uh, I think the philosophy behind seems to us closest to double materiality than TCFD was, for example. Uh, so uh, uh, our feeling that TCFD was an interesting tool, but too much focus on financial materiality, risk measurement, and uh, not enough on the impact on, uh, of the company on, uh, on, on the climate issue. And I think TNFD is a, a little bit, it's not exactly what we would expect, which, uh, which will be a, a full double materiality concept, uh, but it's not... Uh, exactly uh, what TCFD was, which was only financial materiality at the beginning. So uh, uh, there are really a, a kind of a deeper understanding of uh, the relationship between nature and, and the economy, nature, and the relationship between nature and business, which could help not only to measure risk and opportunities, but also to select the companies and the projects which are positive for the climate, positive for, 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 for nature at the end of the day. Of course, to do that, we need, uh, we need data. As the panel's TNFG representative, Emily responded. It's always struck me that when you think about nature as the time frame for investors' considerations of, of nature risks extends into the future, it's very clear that your impacts on nature can affect your dependencies. And we're all dependent, whether you're a corporate or a citizen or a, a, a government, all of us are dependent on nature for a huge variety of services. So even if you take a narrow enterprise value lens, they're sources of risk to enterprise value as, as well as to broader society. So, so for me, um, and I know we have this debate between the language of single and double materiality, I'm sure will continue to attract attention, but what we've been seeing is this, this convergence and, and absolutely, as you said, at the heart of the TNFD framework is a recognition that both, you need to understand both your dependencies and your impacts on nature to have a meaningful understanding of, of risks and opportunities. Much as you can't escape the convergence Emily just mentioned, any discussions about biodiversity and climate quickly become difficult to pull apart. But what are those actual connection points? There are different ways, uh, different ways to answer to, to, to the question. The, the first way, first way would be the scientific way, and I'm, I'm not, uh, and I, uh, 
uh, specialist of, of the topic would be to, uh, to explain that, of course, uh, there is a link because uh, climate is one of the reasons biodiversity is, co- is collapsing today. Uh, it's probably about 30, it's explained about 30 to 40 percent of the uh, of the uh, the explanation of the of the impact on, on biodiversity. Uh, so climate has an impact on biodiversity. This is the first I mean, obvious uh, link. Uh, and uh, and of course, on the other hand, uh, the uh, the question of nature uh, and deforestation, for for example, has some impact on climate. But I think there is another way to answer to your question, uh, which is uh, the fact that if you want to uh, to look at the businesses really broadly, you need to integrate the, both biodiversity and climate. Uh, it's a way to look at the, at, at the economy uh, with a, a, a better lens, I mean, clearer. If you look only at climate, you do not understand that uh, our economy, the business, is dependent on nature. And climate is a part of this, but it's not the, the whole of this. And, and this is the most important thing to understand. It's not just uh, we, are, we are emitting too, too, too much CO2 and we have to decrease it. No, it's a question of uh, we are an, uh, building an economy uh, which is based on extraction, which is based on deforestation, which is based on, based on a, a, a use of nature, which is an overuse of nature. And that's the topic. And we need to, to create a new economy which is different, which, which take into account the fact that uh, the, 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 there, there are boundaries in the planet and we have to, uh, to, uh, to take into account and to, uh, and to build the economy within these boundaries. In my previous role, I had the, the privilege of supporting Partha Descripta on the Descripta Review, which was making exactly these points that our economy and all of us are, are embedded in the natural world. We're not separate from it. And so we have to understand those dependencies and connections. What science is uh, telling us is that uh, climate change is the fastest growing source of impact on biodiversity. And so the, the two are uh, interrelated, which means that you can't take care of biodiversity in your strategy if you don't take care of climate at the same time. Maybe uh, we can meet uh, two profiles that I meet from time to time, the, the cost conscious, let's say telling us, okay, uh, I'm already integrated uh, climate into my action uh, framework reporting and so on. So, you know, I'm good of, uh, with uh, biodiversity uh, uh, with one stone, two birds, even if the image is not very nature-friendly, actually. Um, but uh, it doesn't work. It's not good enough to only look at the climate angle. To, to draw conclusion from a biodiversity impact standpoint, because you have uh, some sectors with limited climate impact, but which may have significant biodiversity uh, impact, such as textile, uh, such as tourism, you know, resort operation in pristine areas and so on. Having said that, we I also meet the pragmatic data analyst from time to time telling me, okay, so in that case, I I jump for biodiversity, the most uh, holistic approach, uh, and so I will take care of climate at the same time. And uh, it doesn't work either, because again, the merit order is not the same, meaning that when you look at the priorities from a climate standpoint, priorities is to 
of the use of fossil fuels, coal uh, most especially, uh, and the ranking of uh, actions will not necessarily be the same if you rank the first uh, thing uh, to do uh, in terms of uh, biodiversity from that angle. So actually, the two issues are interrelated, but should be addressed uh, in parallel. Looking ahead then, whether it's in parallel with climate or trying to catch up, how quickly might investors get to where they need to be on biodiversity? Will it be faster than it was with climate? Having moved myself from the field of uh, climate uh, to, uh, to uh, biodiversity, it goes uh, much faster. Indeed. And it goes much faster because, uh, as I said in my remarks, all the, the concept and the toolbox are there, actually. And, and so uh, investors are already familiar with, with what an environmental footprint is, for instance. And, and for a second reason, sustainability is, you know, at the core of, uh, of an investor like uh, Mirova, but, but we are discussing uh, with... Uh, other investors uh, for which uh, going into uh, ESR uh, uh, was a development for them, something new. And, and now the difference between now where we are engaging about biodiversity with them and five years ago, if we were starting to engage with them about climate, is that they have teams, they have dedicated teams. And, and that changed many things in terms of uh, of bandwidth, resources, decision-making uh, power, integration into processes, and so on, and so on. So, yes, my feeling is that, uh, and that's a good news, things will move uh, much faster, and we will be capable of, of learning the lessons from, from everything we've done on uh, other thematics, uh, thematics such as uh, climate during the last uh, 10 years. And that's obviously also true for, for ESG data provider. Absolutely, yes. That's all for this week. A big thank you from Joe and me to Emily, Matteo, and Philippe, and to all of you for listening. If you'd like to hear more about how investors are working to turn net zero promises into concrete plans, you can view the entire Capital for Climate Action Conference at msci.com slash on dash demand. You can also type Climate Action Conference into the site search field or go to msci.com slash perspectives dash podcast and check out the related content for this episode. Until next time, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe, everyone.